1: Welcome to the DFO Rundown podcast with Frank Saravali and Jason Greger on DailyFaceOff.com. Delivered by DoorDash. Welcome to the DFO Rundown, episode 67, the Max Pacioretty. So uh, hopefully we'll be uh, scoring. Some listeners on this episode, welcome to the DFO uh, Rundown, uh, brought to you by Fantrax, the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty keeper or redraft leagues. Check it out at fantrackscom slash DFO Rundown, and that's where you can uh, register, and then you're entered to win a signed Nathan McKinnon jersey, as I welcome in Frank Cervelli once again. Frankie, how you doing? Hey, what's up? I just called you Frankie. I don't think I've ever called you Frankie. Does anyone that's, call actually, you Frankie?
2: Actually, that was uh that was my name for the first 14 years of my like that's all anyone ever called me. All and right. then for whatever reason I got to high school and I was like, "Man, that sounds so childish. I'm going to
1: just become Frank." And then I did. Okay. So that's when That's that's so, the true story. Okay, there you go. I was wondering, do Now do your do your parents ever call you Frankie still? Not really. No. That's fair. Because yeah. usually, like, I would assume it would have been your parents who called you, started calling you that, or was it your buddy? Yeah, yeah, because my dad's name is Fran, so they, um, they wanted some
2: sort of differentiation.
1: So. Oh, he didn't go with Fran Junior. Jeez, could have been no. a Junior. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, welcome into the uh, WoodJerseys.com studio, of course. Wood Jersey is an official licensed product and looks great in your office, fan cave, or wherever you want to show off your fandom. you'll see, Frank, I get a new one coming. I got a new one. I'll unveil you it. Keep think, saying it. Next week. Uh, well, hey, I don't want to. Sh- I don't want to chirp anybody, but hey, Jared, feel free to drop it off. So uh, there you go. Um, <laughs> I-, I could,
2: you know, if the Wood Jerseys people are listening, I'd be down for a new one. Yeah, why not? I-, I want to get one of these DFO ones that is supposedly coming to Tyler as well. A little custom oh. made.
1: Yeah, yeah. Tyler's been teasing about that for two months, so maybe he's not getting it. We'll see. We'll find out when he joins us later on and buy or sell. Now, Frank, um, it's it's officially unofficial, I guess. Uh, the uh, the Pedersen and uh, the Hughes contracts. Um, one, uh, when Hughes a little bit longer, It's six years, and um, you know, lots of guys reporting it as. I think uh, Rick Dollywall was the first one at the seven point seven five. What do you make of that contract? I love it for the team. See, here's the thing.
2: The Canucks were always in the fives with Quinn Hughes in terms of their offers. And then the Rasmus Dahlin contract with the Buffalo Sabres three times six sort of blew that out of the water. So they they knew at that point they were somewhere in the sixes. The Hughes camp was always sort of in that six and a half range. And that was on a three year deal. And so then I think what happens is you take the numbers and you start to extrapolate them and you say, OK, well, what if we go to four years? What if we go to six years? What do those numbers look like? So to go from six and a half on a three-year deal to somewhere in the neighborhood of seven, seven, five, by the time this is all said and done on a six-year deal, I think it makes sense when you have a foundational pillar, a 50-point defenseman. And look, I know that people were all over Quinn Hughes for the season that he had last year. He's a special, special talent. You try and buy as many years as you can. So to rip off six at a time, you put... 46 million bucks or a little more than that in Quinn Hughes's pocket, some guaranteed life-changing dough. And then he's going to get a new deal at age 28 or 29, which is a win for him. So he's going to have this next deal coming to him. The team buys up as many years as they can, almost six out of eight. And I think this is a win for the Canucks moving forward. It's going to be a lot trickier on Elias Pedersen.
1: Yeah, the, the, I'm, I'm curious about Hughes. You know, when you pay a guy 7.75, he's obviously going to have to improve his defensive play. He's a young defenseman; and He's only played two years, so that will come. I also think it will help them um, having him sheltered a little bit because when he played with Tanev, Two years ago, like Tanev is just a rock solid defender and, and he's not flashy, but he allowed Hughes to really be the Quinn Hughes and Hughes didn't have to defend as much last year he had to defend more. So I think his partner this season uh, will be key for them to allow Hughes to be who he wants and slowly integrate more of the defensive side. Now, you mentioned it'll be difficult more for Pedersen because we're hearing a three year deal for him. Yeah, three year deal somewhere south of eight million.
2: And. Look, he's a such a productive player. He's the, the heartbeat of that team, so creative. Uh, he's one of those rare get-you-out-of-your-seat players as a fan in the NHL. And obviously the, the injuries last year slowed him down a bit, but still. Um, to get him on three years, though, I'm really going to be curious to see what the price tag is for that third year on the deal. Now, the formula had changed a bit in this new CBA that was executed in 2020 about how that works in terms of uh, the third year. And it needs to be close to the average of the deal in order for that uh, to be the qualifying offer for the, the next year, since Elias Pedersen will still be an RFA at the end of those three years. Uh, the good thing is, I think most importantly, you get these two guys on the ice. You know, you're going to have 10 days now by the time they go through the protocols and everything else before the regular season starts in what is a pressure packed season for the Vancouver Canucks because they need everything to go right. They're playing in a wide open division and you can't start the year without your two best players, your most gifted offensive player and your point producer on the back end. Uh, They are now getting those deals done close. We expect it sometime on Friday, the announcement, the official announcement and they need to move forward. Let's get these guys in town. Let's get them on the ice. You deal with whatever happens with Elias Pettersson three years from now and what that costs you later. But I think the other win in, in getting Elias Pettersson south of eight is that when some of these other guys come up in short order, your Bo Horvaths, your Brock Bessers, if you know that Elias Pettersson is your top offensive player, the guy that's setting the bar for your team, Well, then everyone needs to come in below them. So it helps set a little bit of a salary structure, even if it is on a bridge deal, even if it doesn't buy any UFA years, which is what you'd have to do with Besser uh, and Horvat probably in their next contracts. So those are all things to weigh. But I think to get these deals done now before it really push comes to shove with the opening night of the regular season, the Canucks needed to do it.
1: Yeah, I, I look at Pedersen and, you know, his skill and his shot. Like, he's got one of the best, maybe the best wrist shot release going. There's not many guys who shoot like that. The challenge for him, of course, has been injuries. Three years, he's been injured. Obviously, last year was the worst, but uh, he's missed, you know, significant time. You know, anytime you miss more than 10 games every year, that and you're a team's best player, so that's going to be, and that's hard one to predict for any player, but you know what? He's just, he's not a very big man. He's kind of a slight skilled guy, so you just hope that, you know, it's unlucky Injuries for him, but if he can stay healthy, then I think Vancouver's chances of being a playoff team are significantly higher. I look at Vancouver right now, and now that him and Hughes are signed, I would put them as number three in the Pacific Division to start the regular season. I uh, have Edmonton and Vegas and then Vancouver. Um, you know, we'll see where, where Calgary is. I'm not, you know, I, I know there's a lot of projections about Seattle. I got to see their team so far on the road. It was very, you know, Jekyll and Hyde, which rosters they had going. Right. But It was an AHL um, roster. Yeah. I'm a little curious about, do they have the offensive punch? Because clearly they're building their team from their goaltender and their defense. And, and that's fine. But, you know, ultimately you still need somebody to score. Like, I think everybody forgets when Vegas made the playoffs and expansion team, William, Car- William Carlson had 40 goals Wild you know, that season.
2: Yeah. Look, I, I think... Seattle is going to be competitive. I don't see them as a playoff team this year as currently constituted, but I think that they're going to be in a position in April or, or March to be knocking on the door and at least make it interesting in their market, which I think as an expansion franchise is really all you can ask for. And I think a lot of that's due to the general openness of the Pacific division in general. I mean, like you said, you've got Vegas and you've got Edmonton. That's how I see it. And then I, I think it's wide open after the fact in terms of who is, is vying for those final two or three playoff spots uh, quickly. Uh,
1: anything new you're hearing on Brady Kachuk?
2: Nothing new to this point. Uh, these two sides remain in com- in conversation and communication. I, I, I've i never gotten the sense that it's been contentious. Um, they've had a string of meetings that, um, you know, I think have provided some fruitful dialogue, um, I think the Kachuk camp to this point is probably leaning more towards a shorter term bridge deal. I think the Sens have pushed really hard to get him on a longer term deal. What that structure would look like. Uh, can they ring out any signing bonus? Uh, those are all things that I think are, are really important and quite clearly they, they haven't been able to find
1: common ground yet. And uh, our first, I guess we'll call it in season significant injury uh, goes to a team that really couldn't afford it in the Detroit Red Wings and Verana's out now for at least four months. You know, he was going to be on their top line. You know, he was excellent after being, a, uh, after the trade deadline last season with Detroit. And I think there was a lot of excitement on what he could potentially do in Detroit. That's a huge loss for a team. They're in a tough division. You know, I I thought the wings would have been hard pressed to make the playoffs. But now you take out one of their top line guys. It just, you know, before the season even begins, it's a it's a bad look for the wings.
2: Yeah. And when you're already thin, like, look, how how are you expected to compete when you take a piece like that out of your lineup? That's really their big issue is they have players, but they don't have a long list of difference makers. And Verona was certainly going to be one of those. And you think about the trade that went down last year that really kind of shocked everyone at the deadline and the the waiting minutes before the deadline. Um, that was one of those ones that that was sort of core changing for the Detroit Red Wings. And now moving forward, not having Verana for the next four months uh, in a year when I think you wanted to take a little step forward. I was I'm fascinated still to see the kind of season that Alex Nadelkovich has in net. Um He's their, he can be their goaltender of the future in addition to obviously the, the big first round pick that they made this year. But, um, to me, it's that team's going to have such a hard time competing in that division, uh, to get anywhere near a playoff spot. It just feels like a purgatory for Detroit.
1: Now, we're going to get to buy or sell momentarily. But first, a uh, big shout out to to all of our listeners, because uh, the more listeners you have, then uh, guess what? Uh, more advertisers want to come on board. And so we, we welcome in a new partnership with ESPN. Plus, they become the must have for hockey fans. You can get access to more than 1000 out of market NHL games and 75 weekly national games all year. Plus stream thousands of live events from the best leagues and biggest tournaments in the world, exclusive originals, the complete 30 for 30 library. I love that show. Premium articles and fantasy tools and more with ESPN plus. You can sign up now at espn plus dot com slash NHL slash DFO. And uh, now we welcome in to the wood jersey studio is uh tyler uremchuk uh back with us for another uh rip-roaring edition of by yourself first of all Ty, how you doing because your jays man uh, they're on the brink now they got it well they got to sweep the uh, Orioles and get some help how you feeling
0: yeah, I'm not feeling good about that, Jason. I uh, drank my sorrow away last night, so uh, that is why my my voice is maybe a little shot right now as well. But I'm not giving up hope. You're right, they they have at a least
2: chance. they at least they didn't gag on it like my Phillies did. My God, between two series, they had the Pirates and the Orioles back to back, two of the worst teams in <laughs> baseball, followed by a three-game clash against the team you're chasing and only a few games behind, and you get swept.
1: Come on. Well, the good news is that the the Philly fans are very forgiving and not at all ruthless. Yeah, yeah, very
0: forgiving. <laughs> uh, you guys started the show talking about the Vancouver Canucks, and we are going to get into some Pacific Division talk here in just a second. But first, I ourselves brought to you by Bounty Sports. It's the world's first daily fantasy sports platform that levels the playing field. No advanced algorithms or one-sided odds. It's just fans versus fans we'll have more on that in the coming weeks and also with our partnership with bounty sports we'll have a chance for our listeners to compete against us as we do some pick 'em going forward throughout the Ooh, nhl season sick bring it on boys and girls bring it on <laughs> uh let's get into buy or sell though in the pacific i'm going to say only three teams find a way to make the playoffs and the other five are going to come from the central three teams in the pacific making the playoffs frank you buying or selling
2: I'm buying 100%. And I was thinking that that's going to happen between the Atlantic and also the Central, that they're going to both gobble up five spots. But, um, yeah, I mean, look at the Central. I mean, my five playoff teams in the Central are Winnipeg, Minnesota, Dallas, Colorado, and St. Louis. So I don't see one of the sort of lingering or lagging Pacific teams that's sort of humming along there, knocking one of those teams off the perch and out of the playoffs.
1: Yeah, this one I, I didn't, uh, I didn't buy on the Atlantic uh, last time, but I will buy on this one with the, uh, the central only because I'm like Calgary and Vancouver right now, I think are the two teams that are going to battle for three and four. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sure if one of them can, uh, can surpass the other. I will say this though, the central, is going to be tough. Don't sleep on the Blackhawks. They're my surprise team. I actually have the Blackhawks uh, bouncing back. They got six significant new additions. So I have them actually as one of my five
0: making the postseason out of the Central. Six significant additions. And if Kirby Doc and Jonathan Taves are both healthy all year, that's another couple of big additions for them as well. So I like that point. Uh, you guys touched on this a little bit earlier, so we already kind of know your answers, but I'm going to say three playoff teams in the Pacific and Seattle won't be one of them, mainly due to their lack of goal scoring. Jason, you buying or selling?
1: Oh, yeah. All the way. I honestly, I'm not sure Seattle finishes higher than sixth. In the uh, in the Pacific wow. Division, I, I I know that there's all the Vegas expansion and everyone's still in love with it. Now, while Seattle might only finish six in the Pacific, they'll finish first in New Jersey's. I saw their uh, their new one live in person. Man, that thing pops. That white jersey is unreal. I love it. So feels like uh, you need kudos. a wood jersey for that. I know. I trust me. I want to get one. And uh, but that that jersey, seen it live in person when they played the exhibition game in Edmonton. Like it pops. It was awesome. You're but uh, you're for teal. I don't think, oh, I love the teal. I don't think they have, uh I don't think, although that might be turquoise. I'm not even sure. But are they, uh, they I don't think, have the offensive punch to uh, to get in the playoffs.
2: I'm going to say, I'm going to buy um, Tyler. And I'm thinking that the Los Angeles Kings have a chance at that third and final playoff spot in the Pacific too. Um, yeah. I do think their defense and their back end, it gets thin in a hurry. Um, But I think that they have the goaltending to get it done. They've got a a much improved forward core. Uh, And I think they've got some young guys that are ready to take a step forward. So I see it Vegas one, Edmonton two, and then I have Vancouver, Calgary and L.A. in that mix for the third spot.
0: Number three, the Edmonton Oilers finished seventh in goals for last season. They added Zach Hyman. They added Warren Fogle into the mix as well. I'm gonna say the Edmonton Oilers come top five in the league in goals scored this upcoming season. Frank, you buying or selling?
2: I am buying. Um, I, I mean, Zach Hyman should score a ridiculous amount. Uh, they were so close to to getting there last. I mean, they're only eight goals away from getting there, so it's not a, a ginormous leap. In fact, they were only 14 away from being number one, which is Colorado last year. I think Pittsburgh is probably going to tumble a bit. They were second with 196. Not sure that Washington is going to be quite up there, although OV could give you 50 plus on his own. And Matthews should score some more. So I think Toronto will be up there as well. I'm going to say, I'm going to
1: buy. I'm, look, that's three for three. These are good questions. Three buys from me. <laughs> yeah, I'm buying all day long. I, I wrote about it earlier. The other reason is because they're power play. And uh, w- with the increased uh, power play opportunities, Edmonton's power play is going to score more goals. But five on five, uh, they will be better uh, because it's virtually impossible to be worse from a support standpoint. And it's funny, even last year, Edmonton finished ninth in five on five goals last year, despite having very little outside of their top two centers. And yes, a scoring at five on five. So I think they'll uh, they'll be a top five. I'll say this, they'll finish top three in
0: goals. Oh, there we go up in the stakes a little bit. I love it. Uh, fourth question here. Our friends over at pointsbet.com have set the line for the San Jose Sharks this season at 83 and a half points. That's a little bit too high for me. They might not come dead last in the Pacific, but 83 and a half is a bit high. I'm going to say they go under 83 and a half points. Jason, you buying or selling?
1: Yeah, I buy that. I, you know, it's funny. All all of the off ice issues right now that the, around Evander Kane. He was still their best player on the ice last year and by a large margin. Like he was easily their best player. So they're going to take out their best player. We don't know when he's going to be back for them. So let's say he misses two months of the season. Well, I know their goaltending will be better because they've had three years in a row where Jones had an 896 say percentage. So obviously they'll increase there, but 83 points, man, that's a lot. So no, I, I say they uh, definitely come under.
2: I'm going to sell. Um, and, and here's why. I think the Sharks are like a three on the blackjack table. You never really quite know what you're going to get, and that's not an Evander Kane gambling reference. They're dangerous to play against because I think there's some motivation there. The goaltending is going to be better. As dreadful as they were last year, they were still on a 72-point pace through the season. And so, yes, that's some significant ground to make up. But I do think that if you – with some proper rest now – and with their defense core needing or trying to make a statement um, that I, I think it's possible that they're right in that that window to make it really, really uncomfortable for you. And I think if you're going to go and swing big on a on a on an over under points bet for the season, it for me it would have to be something that I'm way more comfortable with than that.
0: Last question here, uh, you know, a lot of hype around the Canucks now they got their two big RFAs signed. I'm going to say they come third out of the Canadian teams in their division. They will finish below Edmonton and Calgary this year. Frank, you buying or selling?
2: Can you repeat the question?
0: The Canucks will finish below the Flames and Oilers, third out of the Canadian teams in their division this season.
2: I'm selling. I think the Canucks are better than Calgary. Um, I, I, I'm, I, I really, honestly, Calgary, to me, confounds me more than almost any other team. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I don't know what they are. I don't know what their direction is. I don't know what they're thinking or their plan is. Uh, I listened to Daryl Sutter and I, I, I I understand what he wants to do. I, I just don't know that he has the pieces to do what he wants to do. And I'm still not entirely sure what to make of their back end. Jacob Markstrom should be better. So that should give them a fighting chance. Um, But I, I I'm Calgary, like a, it's a giant question mark for me. Yeah, they—they're
1: the wild card for sure in this. They could be because- great.
2: They could be terrible. They could be in the middle. Like they're—they're they're really all over the
1: place. Yeah. Like Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk, they've both got the potential to have big bounce back seasons. You know, Sean Monaghan quietly played through an injury last year. Sean Monaghan up until last year, had actually had more goals than Nathan McKinnon in the same draft class. Right. Like Sean Monaghan's been a pretty much a 30 goal scorer his entire 30, career. 30. Yeah. And he uh, so I think he bounces back. But my my concern is on their back end. Uh, I'm looking at their blue line and I'm like, you know, can they, they don't have a number one D man well enough. But, you know, their offense is intriguing to me that they're the wild cards. You know what? I'm actually going to uh, I'm going to sell and say that the the, the Flames somehow squeak ahead of the Canucks.
0: All right, there you go. That is Buy or Sell brought to you by Bounty Sports, the world's first daily fantasy sports platform that levels the playing field. Check them out, BountySports.com. We should have a promo code coming in the next week as well. And a chance, like I said, to compete against us here on the rundown in a little pick them. It'll be a ton of fun. Check them out, Bounty Sports. Yeah. Ooh. Who doesn't love competition, man?
1: Absolutely uh love it. Now, speaking of competition, there, there's lots of it in uh, Pittsburgh uh, only because of it. Now, guys are competing for the center ice position that they usually would never compete for. The number one and number two center spots have been uh, locked up in Pittsburgh for basically since Crosby arrived in 05 and then Malkin followed them. Uh, the next year but uh, injuries to Malkin he's out uh, for a few months Sidney Crosby's missing at least the first week of the season we'll find out though uh, how much more he's going to miss as we get to our uh, guest today uh, brought to you by DoorDash proud sponsor of the nation networks of podcasts use the promo code rundown DD gets first time users 25% off when they use the app and free delivery so uh, check it out at uh, DoorDash right now as we welcome in Rob Rossi.
2: Our next guest has been covering the Pittsburgh Penguins since 2003. A Steel City native who I'm lucky to call not just one of my closest friends in the business, but one of my closest friends in life, Rob Rossi. Welcome to the DFO Rundown.
3: Frankie, good to see you, my man. Yeah, I've known you a long time. So, yeah, unfortunately, a few people I've tried not to forget. So, <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, there you I go. Thought, I thought Pittsburgh and Philly guys like I thought did you guys have to fight in the back alley once and then just become friends how's that work?
3: Well, I would say that Frank and I probably both had enough people in our own markets that disliked us that we found a natural bond uh, <laughs> uh, honor amongst thieves, I guess
2: yeah, we were sort of the uh the outsiders that became insiders, I guess is how you would call yeah. it, um, but Rob wanted to connect with you and and Get the lowdown on the Pittsburgh Penguins. What a fascinating season. This is going to be so much to unfold. I guess initially, what's the feel at camp? No Sid, no Gino for the first time and feels like forever. Uh, this team has somehow found a way even in the last couple of years to, to get itself into the playoffs. What's the feel in training camp and what's the buzz like?
3: Well, from my perspective, it's, it's been a fun camp because usually we come to these things. And it's like the roster's completely set. You know, we convince ourselves there are some storylines and they're really not. Um, so this has been fun because, you know, other than Sidney Crosby, you know, doing some individual workouts before practices uh, it, it's, it's really been focusing a lot on, on guys that if not with a chance to make the team certainly a chance on the team to have different roles. Um, but, I, but I don't think there is as much buzz. Um, and I, I don't think that's just because of Crosby and Malkin being, um, non-factors this camp. That That's part of it. Uh, but I think a lot of it is, is they've, you know, they've peppered out in the playoffs three years in a row. And unlike the off seasons that followed, you know, two of those, um, their general manager is new uh, and Ron Hextall is not as uh splashy and aggressive as was Jim Rutherford. I don't know that anybody is as aggressive as was Jim Rutherford, but um, people weren't excited about their off season. Um, I think people are sort of in the, at least in Pittsburgh right now, I think there's this sort of, they're walking this line, the fan bases of, Do we believe that this team will, as it has in recent seasons, uh, probably outperform uh, what the expectations would be based off what were a lot of injuries in those years? Or do we think this is sort of what it's about to become? And until they do new deals for Malkin and Latang, I think there's a lot of uncertainty around this team. And I think the fan base is, is sort of reflecting that.
2: Will they do new deals for Malkin and Letang? Like, I think that's what everyone wants to know.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the answer is yes, Um, provided both of those players are, you know, interested in, again, taking um, sort of a hometown haircut. uh, I don't see how they don't keep Chris Letang from a hockey on-ice standpoint because he is still their best defenseman. Guys like him, look, if you paid Chris Letang 725, which is his current number on like a three-year extension, I think you'd still be getting pretty good value from him because he's still a guy that can play 25, 26 minutes a night, the right-handed shot. And last year was one of his best years in terms of both staying healthy and productivity. And Todd Reardon and him, the assistant coach they brought back last season, seemed to find a real way of bringing out the best in Chris. with Evgeny I think there's a completely different dynamic there um Evgeny wants to stay but um and I know Evgeny pretty well and I think if you talk to the penguins uh, ownership uh, and you talk to their business side and even their hockey end they go look all things being equal we'd like to keep Evgeny Malkin and you know he's expressed a desire to do a 3 year deal and I think he'd take less money maybe even significantly less but this knee injury is so so much a wild card now because you know Evgeny's 35. Uh, this will be the second time he's had his knee repaired in a decade. Um, it's a different type of repair this time. The ligament is different than the previous ligament. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think he's going to have to make a decision on does he want to sign a one year deal and try to see where he's at. What I don't have a good feel for from Evgeny is if he comes back and is not able to play at the level that he's comfortable with. If he's really going to be interested in playing. Hockey, And I don't think we'll know that or he can know that until he gets back. And to be honest, gentlemen, I don't think we're going to see him back until December at the, you know, probably mid-December, late-December at the earliest.
1: So he's missing two months for sure. What about Sid? You're watching him. Uh, we know that he's going to miss at least a week. Uh, our, our our listeners on fan tracks, they want to know, you know, how high do you take him in the season draft? How many games is he going to play, do you think?
3: Uh. I mean, do you want to be the person that doesn't take Sidney Crosby? I guess that's the the better question. Um, you know, I, I would say this. I think we're probably looking at a couple of weeks without Sid on the ice in Pittsburgh. He's looked good in these warmups, but you know, the concern, as it was expressed to me um, by people I've talked to, and and also I think mine from just watching, is it's a left wrist injury. It's a, an injury that's been giving him problems for years. He he aggravated an old injury but not the way it was injured before from what i was told in the off season what concerns me is it's his left He's a he's a left shot when you lose your when you when you have that left wrist surgery i'm worried about the sort of the the total uh beating he will absorb just in face-offs that's the arm he uses to really low, and he's become a really great face-off guy. I don't think it's going to affect his shot. I don't think it's going to affect his stick handling, but I think depending on how much strength he's been able to build back up into that wrist, and look, I had I had wrist surgery in the offseason along with elbow surgery, and I'm certainly not a hockey player, but so much of Sidney is going into the boards and spinning out and using momentum, and how often, gentlemen, have we seen Sidney Crosby sort of use that left arm to give himself that push, that extra space that he's so great at creating for himself, and I just think it's going to take some time to get comfortable with that. And if you're opponents, you're going to know that. So um, I think the better production from Sydney will probably come maybe in the second half of the season. But um, if you're feeling, I guess if you're into fantasy hockey, I if he goes low, I'd take him. I don't know if I'd take him real high. Uh, and that's the first and only time I'll probably ever say that.
1: <laughs> so, Rob, um, in the past, when Crosby was out, Malkin would step up and he would elevate. Now, he's an elite player. He's a Hall of Famer. Even though he wasn't in the top 100, I still think that's a joke. But nonetheless, um, wh- who do they have? Who can step up? And like, I-, I think it's impossible to fill the shoes of both. But who's going to do it on the short term until Crosby comes back? And then who's going to be the second line center for the first two months?
3: Great. Both of those are great questions. I'll say this: um, I think that their their number two center right now is Teddy Bluger. But I don't know that that will be their second scoring line. Um, okay. They like Blueger to play with Zach Aston Reese in a real sort of shutdown line. Um, that those two played with Brandon Tanna for a while. I think you're going to see them play together again and sort of maybe try to fit somebody in. Um, I think you're going to see a Raheem Sedora is a guy that is a, is a big player, comes from their system. Uh, he's very tall. You notice him. He's not a physical player. He's got some skill. I think he's going to see some time as the, sort of second scoring line center, at least in those opportunities uh, while Sydney's out with Jeff Carter, you know, going between Gensel and Rust is the, the number one center. And so when you ask me who I think needs to step up, to be honest, it's not either one of the centers um, among the forwards. I really think that guy is Jason Zucker. Uh, he is a guy who has been a, a really consistent and good offensive player in this league. But you know, he has not clicked with either center in Pittsburgh. And I think there's a feeling here that he might thrive in this environment. And if he does, maybe that gets him off to the type of hot start that restores some confidence that gets him going again, because they're going to need somebody like that to do well early and extend it through Malkin's absence. Because again, they're going to be out without him for at least two months, probably a little longer than that. So I think you look at a guy like Zucker, I think the other way they they can handle this without those two centers or even with those two centers limited is they do have some guys on the back end that can produce. And I think they need to be more consistent with that. Uh, obviously I mentioned LeTang, a guy like Mike Matheson, who quite Frank had changed my mind uh, last season. I, I was one of those people that was like, well, why did they need Mike Matheson? But um, he has a confidence with pushing and uh, creating and, and making offensive plays that really you don't see much from guys in this league. And, I think he's a guy that can find a level of consistency with that type of offense while not subtracting too much from defense. Um, but I think that's a I think they're gonna have to get some scoring from the back end a lot early and and hope their goaltending holds up. And look, be lying if I told you I had a whole lot of confidence in their goaltending going into this season. They seem to, but that's certainly a minority opinion in Pittsburgh.
2: So you talked about the center position and. And obviously that's of critical importance. And I think the penguins recognize that as well. One sort of glaring story that when I look at the penguins and their cap situation, that stands out to me, Brian rust isn't signed, you know, move. He has obviously one year left on his deal at three, five. He's a critically important piece to this team, not just now, but probably will be moving forward. Cause it's not easy to find that type of production. Why isn't he signed, and and do you anticipate something there?
3: That's a great question, Frank. I'll say this: uh, there's been talks between Russ's camp and um, Penguins management, Ron Hextall. Um, I know the Penguins would like to sign the player, but Ryan Russ, quite frankly, took a very, very uh, team favorable deal last time. Um, you mentioned his AAV was three five. Um, I think. Brian rust looks at this market and goes, I'm a $6 million player. If I go to free agency and I'm probably going to get at least a five, if not a six year deal. Uh, and, 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 look, I think there's a chance he exceeds both of those. Right. So, um, and I think if you're the penguins, you have to ask yourself with a guy like rust, who is going to turn 30 and has is, and is played a good bit of hockey. When you add in the playoffs, yes, he's, he's on the, He's had the two best offensive seasons of his career. And look, I've been telling people, I think Brian Rust is a dark horse candidate to make the U S Olympic team because Brian Rust is one of those guys that can produce as a top six, but is really comfortable playing in a third and fourth line role. He's a great penalty killer. He, he plays a physically abrasive game. He's not, he's not a thumper, but he, he doesn't shy away from contact. He is a, very fast player and a very good skater, uh, not just one or the other. And he has a moment, you know, he was called Mr. Game seven around here for a long time because he scored big goals in, in deciding games. So all of those things are going to help him. If he goes to the market, I just don't know how willing Brian rust is to take a significant discount to stay in Pittsburgh right now. And I think that's what he would have to do. And I don't know that it's money, Frank. I think it might be term. Um, I really do. I think the Penguins might look at a player like that who's going to be because 30- he's already
2: 29, right? So right, yeah. if you're about to yeah.
3: embark on this rebuild
2: or whatever you want to call it, retool, whatever language the Penguins want to use, yeah. by the time you get to where you want to get to, Brian Russ might be 34. And is, is he the guy that really makes sense to dig in and sign long-term?
3: No, I don't. I, and I think that's what they're weighing, right? Cause they've already got one of those guys, um, a little bit younger, but in Jake Gensel. They signed they they signed Jake to a thirty million dollar total contract. It was a five year, six million dollar deal when he signed it. And, you know, I think they'd be fine giving Brian Russ something like that. But the problem is, I think Brian looks at it and goes, I can get more term and I might be able to get a little more money. And, you know, I asked Brian this question at the end of last season, and it was a really sometimes these guys don't say anything about this stuff. Sometimes they give you an answer that's so glaring that you kind of hold on to it. And I asked him how much he became a father for the first time. And I said, how much does, you know, now being a family man, play into this and he said, look, with the opportunity to become a free agent, uh, you know, my family is my first priority. Taking care of them is my first priority. And I, I, I don't know if this can work. Um, and I don't know what they do if it can't, because if they are a playoff team this year, it's hard to imagine them being a playoff team without Brian Russ the whole year. And if they aren't, um, what message it would send to their fans about maybe dealing a Brian Russ near or at the deadline when they could probably get a lot for him because of his playoff pedigree. Uh, I think we have to wait and let that see that play out. But I, I have, I have thought that if the Russ situation isn't resolved, you know, say by Thanksgiving, uh, U.S. Thanksgiving, and we're probably looking at the writing on the wall being that Brian Rust situation isn't going to be resolved favorably in Pittsburgh.
2: Well, that that was actually going to bring me to my next question because you mentioned the sort of metaphor of of Penguins fans walking the line. I I, I wonder if you know in the season that we're entering, where all this attention is being paid to Latang. And to Malkin, that maybe Russ is the guy that we should be looking at at the trade deadline. That's like, hey, we could probably get way more for this guy than the other two guys, depending yeah. on again how they're playing. That it, he might be the guy that everyone's circling, saying like, hey, this makes sense.
3: Yeah, no, and I end any suspense. That's absolutely correct because they would not trade if getting Malkin or Chris Letang. Um, mm-hmm. First of all, uh, why? Wait
2: a second. What I need to stop you there. Why?
3: Um. At at this point. Um. It's it's my understanding from people that know Mario Lemieux that has said his interest is in them retiring as Penguins, but that he doesn't want to trade them, and certainly not trade them in season. Secondly, I don't know what you'd get for getting Malkin right now. I mean, he's coming off that knee injury. He's going to be a free agent. Um, he would have to waive his no trade clause. He's got a whole no trade clause. And with Chris Letang, it's he you know he can he has a limited no movement clause. I think you could get something for him, but. I just don't think that is a factor because from what I've been told, um, you know, the owner of this team feels like those two have done so much for the franchise that it's one thing if they decide to walk away, you know, um, they want to go somewhere else, but unless they demand a trade, you don't move them. Uh, and as far as I can tell, no, one both of those guys, neither one of them are interested in demanding a trade. So I think you start looking at Russ. I really do. I think you start looking at rust and I I would say probably another guy to watch, um, depending on how this year plays out. A lot of people are looking at, um, a lot of people are looking at Marcus Pedersen, who is a defenseman who is big and um, by his own, they tried to move him all summer. Yeah, they did. I think the guy to look at, if I'm, if I'm sort of giving you maybe a dark horse is John Marino. I don't get the sense that this management team is as effusive of Marino as the previous management group was. I also get the sense they feel because even though they're different shots because they have P.O. Joe Pierre Olivier Joseph in the system and they like him and what he does offensively and that because Marino still is thought of as a pretty good player in this league that. They might be able to get a haul for him. And I don't know that they feel that the $5 million price tag or close to it. It's close to, was it four and a half for Marino, something like that. Four, four. Four, four. Yeah, I I don't think they feel that that is great value for where Marino's at right now. Um,
2: But shouldn't that tell teams that are trying to trade for him or would be interested that if the team that he's playing on doesn't like him at four, four, that he might not be worth it?
3: Well, probably I think teams might have a different evaluation. I guess in the scenario I'm talking about is I could see a situation where if Marino's play returns to sort of a form closer as rookie year, that might be one of those guys where they look at and go, maybe he doesn't fit the mold of what we want in terms of guys that are their idea of playoff type players. And that might be a move where they could get a lot for him. And in this system, I can tell you, I watch prospect camp. This system is so barren of anything uh, after when you get when you get away from Joseph, right? There's just not a lot there. There's a couple guys that have stood out, but like none of them are, you know, Lagare and Poolin are. You know, I mean, in Pittsburgh they're the top prospects, but I don't think anybody else would have them screaming up their list. The one guy I've liked in their camp is a guy named uh, Jonathan Gruden, not the hockey coach or not the football coach, excuse me, or hockey coach. I don't know what Gruden's doing out there these days. Where Vegas is going, maybe he'll do both at some point, but, um, but Jonathan Gruden looked like, but I mean, he's going to be like a Teddy Bluger type and that's going to be a couple years down the line. I think if they think they could move a guy like Marino to get some real top end talent in this system uh, because they have Joseph uh, that could sort of fill in as that sort of, guy that's a younger defenseman that could grow with his team I think that's something they would consider provided it's not a dump but an actual hockey trade
1: uh Rob we talked earlier about the goaltending and uh because it's funny recency bias we all have it but man you know what, what happened in the postseason the uh, Penguins fans were not happy everybody saw it they felt like you know it cost them some games you look at Tristan Chari,
3: Jari saw it
1: Yeah, you got Casey DeSmith. He's got one year left on his deal. Is Jari like the guaranteed starter here? What 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 do you see they do in goal as far as a rotation basis goes? And do you think Jari can bounce back?
3: I think Jari's the starter going into the season. I don't know that I'd feel comfortable saying he's going to be the starter by midseason. I wouldn't be surprised if it's him and Casey DeSmith sort of splitting time. I mean, really. It 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 might have been that last year more at Casey DeSmith been healthier, um, you know, and no, I I don't I don't know that Jari can't. I mean, I, there's a lot of talent there, but talking to the guy that we're talking about a guy that at the NHL level had a brilliant uh, late November, entire December, and you know three weeks of January two years ago, and then after that he's been at best average. And if you look at a lot of the metrics uh, that exist out there for goaltending, he's below average and a lot that, you know, you would look at And This is an organization run by a former goaltender in this league who also has, uh, you know, a pretty, uh, and Frank, you can speak to this probably as well as me. I think Ron Hextall, for whatever people might wonder, I think it's pretty clear out there. He is a, he, he's an, he has an affinity for, uh, statistics is affinity for that type of metric-based analysis, um, at least in sort of decision making in terms of players' futures in that. And I know they've, you know, even though they lost Sam Ventura to Buffalo, they've they still, as an organization, invest heavily in that. So I I don't know. I, I think this is a prove it couple of months for Tristan Jari. Um, I don't. It's tough to tell because we're not in the room, but. I, I just don't get the sense when I talk to players in the offseason that there's a whole lot of confidence there. and um, Nobody will say this in the organization, but they will all dance around it, which is when they say we feel like we were the better team last year against the Islanders, and they say we feel like we should have had a longer playoff run, they're not talking about Oh, they came unglued. They emotionally didn't handle things. They didn't score enough goals. Without talking about it, they're saying our goaltending wasn't good enough. And I've had people tell me that had there been a situation last postseason when Casey DeSmith was available to them. They remember he missed the whole postseason with that hernia, the sports hernia, that he would have he would have been the starter at some point in that series given the way it went. And um I I think I have have questions about Jari. I think they do too. And I think if anything, we might be looking at an entirely new goaltending dynamic in Pittsburgh a year from now.
1: OK, and uh, one final one for me, Rob, Um, you have Ron Hextall, who is you talked about, you know, he looks at the numbers and he, he's very patient, whereas Brian Burke historically can be very aggressive. He's not afraid to pull off big moves. How do you see? Are they going to balance each other very well? Uh, is, is there one? Are we going to see a patience here? Or are we going to see? No, no, no. we got to make a big swing. What do you see happening from a management perspective?
3: You know, I think a lot like last year, um, I think for the most part, they're going to be pretty cautious about this because they didn't want the Rutherford model, which was sort of throw a bunch of things at the wall and see what sticks. They wanted a more measured approach and they want an approach where it tries to focus on keeping the team competitive, but also you know, not completely selling every part of the future regularly. Right. I mean, uh, Jim Rutherford made 30 trades in his last three seasons. It was like, God, I loved it. it just, I loved it, yeah, Rob. I, I loved fantastic. it. Fantastic. I did. I look as from a media member, we love it. But I will say, I think one of the biggest reasons they had the success in the regular season they did last year was because guys didn't come to practice every day wondering which one of us gets traded this month. Yeah. Um, that said, I do think you saw a situation last year with regards to Jeff Carter, where now I know at the time Jeff Carter was not sort of maybe the most attractive guy that teams could go get. But they were pretty aggressive. They reached out to the Kings well in advance of the deadline, and they really um, sought permission and got permission to talk to Carter to try to sell him on this. And I think that's where you saw the Burke influence. So that tells me if the Penguins think they're good and they think they're a piece away, you're going to see a guy like Burke win out where it's like, hey, maybe Ron doesn't want to go with this completely, but Brian can convince him. But for the most part, I think it's going to be, at least this year, a very calm uh, – well, maybe not calm, but I think it's going to be a very calming presence because I just don't think they're going to make a ton of moves. I mean, as Frank said, they, they've they been shopping players this summer and didn't make moves. And, I, and from what I was told, one of the reasons they didn't move Pedersen was they just feel there might be a better deal down the line. And they have so few assets in this organization to move. And, Frankie, I'm sure you've heard the same thing. that the Thing I've heard about Hextahl from talking to other people around the league is like he knows he doesn't have a lot of chips to play, so he can't just give one of these chips away that he might have because he needs to, you know, he yeah. needs to bat better on these these deals than maybe other GMs.
2: So, Rob, last one for me, and it it gags me to say this, but um <laughs> the the Pittsburgh market, it's been awesome to watch. You know, the interest in that team over the last two decades because you were there covering it. And I went to plenty of games at the Igloo where it wasn't there wasn't enough there. There wasn't enough juice. There wasn't enough interest. Mm-hmm. And the sellout streak has been ridiculous. And all the interest in that team, how does this market respond to whatever's coming next? Is it Is there gratitude for the three cups and how quickly does that flip to what have you done for me lately? And and how do you think this franchise business wise, which has, you know, it has its own different challenges because Pittsburgh is still a relatively small market in the overall grand NHL landscape, but has had this star power that's helped keep driving and keeping things afloat. From a business standpoint, how does this team uh, find a way to bridge the gap from one end, from the Crosby era, to whatever comes next? That's
3: a great question. Um, my guess is that one of the reasons they will exhaust a lot of reason will exhaust a lot of capital to try to sign Malkin and Latang to run concurrent with Crosby's remaining three years after this season is because from a business standpoint, they've already been told by their biggest corporate partners, you know, uh, maybe you guys aren't a Stanley cup team anymore, but we want those players around because in Pittsburgh, it's been said to me by some people in other markets, you know, the, the penguins in America for the NHL are sort of like the Lakers in Los Angeles. They, they are a franchise that is tied to having a certain style and a certain type of player, and that style is sort of offensive hockey, and that player is is you know superstar scoring, right? Um, so I, I think there that's why there's going to be pressure to from outside the organization with the people that you know help pay the bills to do that. Well, uh, the difference is the guys.
2: Lakers play in Los Angeles and the Penguins oh, right. play in Pittsburgh, and they're they're just. It, it, People yeah, don't no. pay for that in Pittsburgh if you don't if you don't have the goods. People don't buy tickets.
3: Well, right. And so I think the question is, what will they pay for in Pittsburgh? I don't know that they'll pay for a rebuild. I think they will pay for an attempt to sort of sell a rebuild with those three players because there's such an affinity for those three players. Um but you know what the Penguins are going to have to do, and I don't think it's coming from within is when they get a chance, and this is why I think you might see them move on from a guy like Russ, when they can create some space to go go after a guy on the free agent market, I think they're going to try to do that because they feel like what they'll be able to sell guys is you can come to a market where you really matter, where the ownership has shown they know how to sort of create an environment that's very favorable to stars um, where you have a lot of support, but you don't have that sort of intrusiveness that you have in places like Toronto or Montreal or sort of other sort of hockey markets. And I, so I think, I think the next phase of the Penguins and building them back up is no matter what happens with Platang and Malkin. I think you're going to see them maybe not next summer, but the summer after that really look to go and try to spend some of the cap space and spend some of the money because they're going to look at it as we need to spend real money now to keep making money in the future because our fans expect this. And they have said they want their model to be that of the Pittsburgh Steelers. And the Pittsburgh Steelers model has been you don't have to win the championship every year but you've got to give your fans a belief that you're contending every year. And then on some years, you're going to knock the door down. But you want to be knocking on the door every year. That's the model they want here. But the difference is they have to have stars. When they did not have stars in that sort of run towards that led up to the, the great drafts of the early 2000s for them, when they didn't have stars, it wasn't the, it wasn't the lack of winning that didn't bring people. It was the lack of entertainment. People here want entertainment, and they want winning, but they want entertainment first.
2: Well, that's just another reason why I think Ron Hextall and Brian Burke, I think they have two of the hardest jobs in hockey for the next oh, number of years. Yeah,
3: yeah I, 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 well, look, I think, you know, Frank, you've had them say it to you. I mean, there's a reason Ron was told by um, Brian, this this is a great job to have, but it's not going to be easy. Um, uh, They're asking the impossible here. And I, and I feel bad in a way because they had done a really good job of exhausting all of their sort of revenue-making options, and then this pandemic hit. And one thing about the Penguins is, and I've, I've checked this, Frank, they have one of the most favorable arena deals in the league. They get, you know, if if Bruce Springsteen comes to the PPG Paints Arena, they get, other than what Bruce Springsteen takes, they get 90% of everything else they do. That includes parking, concessions, and everything. They get every bit of parking during the day that is done for people that work in the city. So they have a lot of ways to make revenue, right? But it they didn't in the pandemic because those ways weren't available to them. So you're right, their mid market status came back to haunt them in a way that it hasn't in a long time. Mm-hmm.
1: Rob, we really appreciate it. We always like to uh, end off with a rapid fire. Brought to you by Fan Tracks. Uh, the only rule is you have to answer every question. Okay, okay. we'll start. Uh, we'll, we'll start it easy. If uh, Rob Rossi's taking us out for dinner, what is the go-to dinner place in Pittsburgh?
3: Well, uh, I would take you to my mom and dad's house and have a, uh, a nice home-cooked Italian meal with uh, the sauce recipe from my uh, great grandmother josephine uh some homemade meatballs Ooh. um and I'd bring some uh some bread from Mancini's fresh bread baked, and we'd have a lot of carbs uh and maybe a, a glass of red wine because look, I could take you somewhere, but to really experience pittsburgh you, you gotta you gotta do it uh style so Ooh, I that's like what it. I
1: do. okay, I like it now here's a fun one if if Rossi and Saravalli are out at the bar. Um, who this is the has never first, happened, by the way, <laughs> We've <laughs> never, who, is, so far, who is the first willing to pay?
3: Well, one of us is a big time national newsbreaker now. So I would, <laughs> I would, I would let, uh, what are you, are you saying
2: me. I've got alligator arms otherwise, or I did back I when know. I worked at the uh, paper,
3: I would say that Frank and I have both been, uh, very, um, eager to pick up tabs in the past nice the, the nice. nice thing is neither of us are popular enough to have to have that tab be too big <laughs> <laughs> all right um so lemieux crosby
1: jagger malkin you mentioned superstars if those are the top four in the in the pittsburgh penguins folklore who's number five
3: mark andre Fleury. uh he is he's maybe other than mario the most been a loved player in franchise history. Uh you know, we were asking like, how do they sell tickets? That'd be one way. Pay him some money to come back after this season in Chicago. I mean, he he's his legend has only grown since he's uh, since he's left. Um but uh, if we're if we're looking for a, a skater, I would say the most important player in franchise history that doesn't get talked about enough is Paul Coffey. Um Paul Coffee coming here in nineteen eighty seven um having played with Mario at the Canada Cup. Mario has said this it it gave Mario sort of a, num- a legitimate superstar to play with i think coffee more than anything created that penguin culture of press the puck move the puck um they've tried to have puck moving defensemen ever since him but he was a guy that came here and um I- i've argued that his number should be retired even though he didn't play any he didn't even play 5 full seasons here but his impact was large
1: I love it, yeah, and highly competitive player too. Yeah. Um, When you at the end of the season, you're going to describe Casperi Kappanen season as how?
3: Hmm. I'm going to describe Casperi's Kappanen at the end of this season as a guy who has silenced a lot of critics, but might still be leaving people who expect huge offensive things from him wanting more because i think he's going to show himself to be a pretty good two-way player this year and a reliable player but i'm just i think he's like a 25 goal guy i don't know that he's much more than that but uh but I, i think i think this is the right place for him and i think they're getting through to him so i i think he'll silence people that think he doesn't really care as much he's not as committed but i think the people that look at him as like a potential big time offensive guy are gonna still be going ah there should be more there
1: who's the best quote on the penguins
3: ever or right now right now right now oh ah that's a good question um that's a really good question uh i I would say honestly it's it's probably either i mean take out of getting malkin because when he does speak to the media, generally, he usually delivers some sort of like oh, amazing, cool. like we're not good or something like that. <laughs> you know, there's a really good quote Is Zach Aston Reese, a case in point. I was talking to him the other day, um, and one of the things he said was uh, I asked him about Teddy Bluger and uh, I was asking about Teddy Bluger's com- um, confidence. And he goes, he's a really confident guy. And, you know, OK, that's whatever. And he goes. You know, he picked me up the other day, and he was he was listening to this Russian podcast because he's always listening to things in Russian and always trying to talk in Russian. And I, you know, he'll tell you like he can he can talk in a lot of different languages. Why can't we and stuff like that? And I'm just like, I'm getting all this great material, and then this this Zach asked Reese Reese give me all this great material, and then he's asked a question about like what his favorite cheat meal is, and he goes, well, I really like sushi, and we're like, honey, huh? goes, but I really like um uh. I was a sub shop. I, I forget which one. Jersey Mike's. Jersey Mike's. Yeah. he mentioned yeah. Frankie. He, meant, he mentioned Jersey Mike's and then he goes, I don't know why, but it's so damn good. And we're like, you just dropped Teddy Bluger's fascination with Russian podcasts and somehow con- conjoining sushi, which in Pittsburgh, you should never want to eat. Trust me. It's an old Chad Brown, uh, thing from the Steelers. His wife used to famously say they can't do sushi in Pittsburgh despite having three rivers, which is true. And then he drops Jersey (laughs) Mike's and it's like, this was all in like a minute. And I'm like, my God, man, like, I'm going to keep him here forever just because of that.
1: Mm, That's actually a really good line about the uh, three rivers and no sushi. I like it. Um,
3: Have you seen our rivers? You
1: wouldn't want anything. Yeah, no, I I do love Three Rivers Stadium, though. I will say that. Uh, uh, My great-grandfather named it, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Now, the greatest sports statue I personally have seen is Roberto Clemente in Pittsburgh. I think it's unbelievable. Will there be a Sidney Crosby statue similar to Clemente when he's done?
3: So here's a little known fact for your audience. If you come to PPG Paints Arena and you see the uh, place where the Lemieux statue is, um, you'll notice that it's sort of like a pavilion. Um, an outside pavilion not covered that was made that way because they wanted it to be similar to montreal okay where there are many statues yes um, so the plan is to have a Sidney crosby statue um, before we get to that and this is where i don't know i don't know if he's getting a statue but i will say that within the next three years we're going to see only the second jersey retirement in the history of the Penguins when it comes to uh, Michelle Briere's jersey hangs from the rafters and nobody's worn 21, but that was because he died, um, in a tragic accident. The only jersey that's been retired officially is Mary Lamuse. Within the next three years, the Penguins are looking at bringing back Yarmir Yager, yeah. bringing it full circle and raising his 68 to the rafters. Um, he's got to stop playing heard, first. Yeah. Well, that's. That's the biggest problem. He's like, I would love to do this, but I still play. So they're trying to like get a time where like they could make it work. But um, yeah, I, um, there's going to be a Crosby statue. Uh, it's like I said, I, I really do believe Sid's probably going to, I can definitely see a situation where Mario sells a good chunk of his chair to Sid and Sid oh. sort of uh, does that when he's done. And um, then realizes he doesn't really want to ever be a GM and just sort of Kick back and you know have a have a fun time owning a hockey club. But nice. he's gonna get it. He's gonna get it. He's gonna get it. And you're right about that clemente statue. It is the, it is, whoever when they designed that, it's yes. perfect because it's literally the way it looked like he coming out of the box.
1: Yeah, and um, it's so big. I love it. Yeah. Uh, Rob, thanks so much for joining us in the DFO rundown, man. We really appreciate it.
3: Anytime. I'll tell you real quick, guys, too, about Mario statue. I remember talking to him the day it was, uh, you know, whatever they. And he goes, I. He just was unhappy that day, and I said, "What are you so unhappy about?" He goes, "Usually they don't do this until you're dead. I'm not planning on dying anytime soon." <laughs> Perfect ending, Rob. Thanks so much. <laughs> Take care, gentlemen.
1: Rob Rossi, man, he's a beauty. Uh, some great uh, intel about Pittsburgh. Uh, yeah, no sushi in Pittsburgh. Something to know next time I'm there. Oddly, I've, I've actually,
2: it. I think, I've actually eaten sushi in Pittsburgh with Rob, which is yeah. And it was it was average. We, I survived. I mean, I didn't oh. end up and, and who's kidding who, like I always joke, like I could, I I'd be down with like a three week stomach virus drop 50 pounds. <laughs> oh, Jeez.
1: Well, Frankie, that was uh, the rundown episode. Uh, Max Pacioretty 67 brought to you by fan tracks. Reminder to all of our listeners, go to fantracks.com slash D F O rundown. That's where you can register fantastic uh, season-long fantasies if you got keepers or if you want to redraft league or a dynasty do it all and you can enter to win a signed nathan mckinnon jersey have a great weekend uh well there'll be lots more cuts and more to talk about in episode 68
0: thanks for listening to the dfo rundown with Sarah sarvali and gregor keep it locked on dailyfaceoff.com
1: and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from to never miss an episode delivered by doordash
0: but there's more. You gotta decide if the total amount of goals in the game will be over or under a certain amount, and that's where the real strategy starts to kick in. Next up, you're picking who's gonna find the back of the net first, and you're gonna wanna be careful because that's one that could be cooked early on In the game. And finally, you got to predict which period is going to be the highest scoring. Will it be a barn burner in the first, a shootout in the second, or a nail biter in the third? That's up to you to decide. Now, let's talk about prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff?